There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. You see, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that are a fraction of the price of mattresses one can purchase in the store. The mattress industry has for too long forced consumers to pay notoriously high markups, and Casper has had enough. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of their mattresses through cutting up the middleman, the retailer, and selling directly to you, the consumer. Now, you see, for years I've had trouble finding a mattress that has the perfect blend of bounce and stiffness until I finally received my own Casper mattress. Casper mattresses provide resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort, and this has literally changed the quality of my sleep overnight. Ha! A hybrid sleeping product that combines premium memory foam with latex foam, it has become the most awarded mattress of the last decade. Uh, mattresses start at $500, and they go as high as $950 for a California king-size mattress. These are great prices. If you, like me, are tired of expensive mattresses not actually making your quality of sleep any better, it is incumbent upon you, my friend, to go out and get one. Casper mattresses are easy to purchase, and you can do so risk-free. Casper offers free delivery right to your door, and if you are not satisfied with your purchase, you can return it within a hundred days at no cost. Let's be honest, guys and girls, lying on a mattress for a couple of minutes in a showroom is simply not enough time to tell if that is the right mattress for you. Now, Casper is willing to give the listeners of Cool Canadian History $50 off their first purchase. All you need to do is go to the link caspertrial.com slash coolcanadianhistory. That's Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R, trial, T-R-I-A-L dot com slash coolcanadianhistory. Get your purchase, get your mattress, sleep better now. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 4, Episode 10, Eugenics in Alberta. We continue our deep dive into the uncool aspects of Canadian history this week. When in the late 19th century and early 20th century, Canada witnessed dramatic increases in its population. During this incredible period of immigration, many within Canada feared that the arrival of so many new cultures, religions, ethnicities, and language groups would threaten the dominance of the Anglo-Saxon community within Canada. 
This racist anxiety, coupled with fears of social degeneration, led to a terrible eugenics program advocated and practiced primarily in Western Canada. This week's book recommendation is Leilani Murray's A Whisper Past, Childless After Eugenic Sterilization. This was uh, published in 2014 by Friesen Press, and it is a raw and heartbreaking first-hand account of the effects of sterilization on a young woman living in Alberta. Eugenics is defined by the Webster's Dictionary as the practice or advocacy of controlled selective breeding of the human population, as by sterilization, to improve the population's genetic composition. The term eugenics was coined in 1883 by British scientist Francis Galton, whose first cousin was in fact the evolutionary scientist Charles Darwin. Now, Galton spent most of his scientific life trying to understand the science behind inherited abilities and traits, while also grappling with his cousin's paradigm-shifting research on evolution. By the late 19th century, eugenics had become a topic of serious public discussion in Britain, though no major legislation was ever ultimately passed. In the United States, however the eugenics movement gained far more traction due to a far more hostile racial climate. Many scientists and political leaders were concerned about the potential watering down of the Caucasian race because of the potential for relationships between Caucasians and non-white peoples, particularly of concern was the African-American population. In this hostile and anxiety-ridden climate, numerous pieces of legislation were passed throughout the early 20th century, legalizing eugenics programs. In California, for instance, upwards of 60,000 people were sterilized by the government for a wide range of reasons. Other eugenics legislation was passed in Indiana and Virginia, just to name a couple of other states. Now, in Canada, Eugenics was also widely debated and discussed. While Ontario and Manitoba came within a couple of votes of passing eugenics-based legislation, it was only British Columbia and Alberta where sterilization laws were actually passed. Much of the debate in this country and these provinces around sterilization and eugenics stemmed from the rapid demographic changes occurring in the country in the late 19th and early 20th century. From 1896 to 1914, for instance, three million immigrants arrived and settled in the country. In Alberta especially, the population rose from 98,000 people in 1890 to nearly 375,000 by 1911. This immigration was a result of Canada's need for more people, particularly to help populate and settle the West, which had only recently been opened. Uh, This West, of course, being opened only after the First Nations populations, who were originally inhabiting the land, had been conjoled, threatened, and pushed off of their traditional territory. Now, this massive immigration, however, while generally welcomed by the federal government, stimulated a growing anxiety amongst the generally white Christian Anglo-Saxon populations, which saw this immigration as a potential threat to the dominance of the Anglo-Saxon race, as they put it. Effectively, white immigrants were needed, 
but they were expected to assimilate into Anglo-Saxon culture. If they did not, or were perceived as unable to do so, then something had to be done. Just to give you an example, a newspaper from Alberta called the Daily Northwester was writing about Ukrainian immigrants in 1896, and it said, The protest of the council is quite justified. The dumping down of these filthy, penniless, and ignorant foreigners into progressive and intelligent communities is a serious hardship to such a community. Future Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King wrote in 1908, Canada should desire to restrict immigration from the Orient. This is regarded as natural. That Canada should remain a white man's country is believed to be not only desirable for economic and social reasons, but highly necessary on political and national grounds. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even J.S. Woodsworth, the pioneer of the Canadian social welfare system and first leader of the Co-op Commonwealth Federation that is the predecessor to the NDP, believed that Canada's immigration laws were too relaxed and more needed to be done to prevent undesirables from coming in. In his book Strangers Within Our Gates, Woodsworth identified the social costs of unrestricted immigration as manifesting in the bars, brothels, and opium dens of Canada's urban centers, effectively blaming vice on immigrants. He wrote, and I quote, We need more for our blood to assist us to maintain in Canada our British traditions and to mold incoming armies of foreigners into loyal British subjects. End quote. For Woodsworth, Restrictive immigration was the answer, and sterilization was suggested as necessary to limit the damage he perceived as already done to Anglo-Canadian society. In Alberta, the sterilization movement gained steam in the latter half of the First World War, framed around perceptions of growing social problems within Alberta's urban centers, social problems that were directly linked to undesirable immigrants, while incorrectly linked, nonetheless attributed. Two of the leading voices in the Albertan sterilization movement were Emily Murphy and Nellie McClung. These were two members of the Famous Five. Now, listeners might know the Famous Five as the group that successfully and famously lobbied the government for recognition of women's equality in the eyes of the law. So while known as heroes to the gender equality movement, their prominent roles in the sterilization movement is often much less known, if not sometimes even swept under the rug. Emily Murphy infamously wrote the book The Black Candle, which blamed, for instance, Asian immigrants for the rise in drug addiction and drug use in Alberta society. Both Murphy and McClung worked alongside representatives of the Women's Christian Temperance Union and the equally influential United Farm Women of Alberta to lobby the Albertan government 
for sterilization policies. The UFWA in particular placed emphasis on the need to raise, as they put it, and I quote, genetically superior children, as well as to control the increasing population of what they deemed, and again I quote, mental defectives. These groups had numerous sympathizers within the Albertan political party known as the United Farmers of Alberta. When the United Farmers of Alberta won the 1926 general election with a strong majority, sterilizing was now on the table. On the 21st of March 1928, the UFA passed the Sexual Sterilization Act, Canada's first such act. This act established a eugenics board, which would then determine if a candidate was at risk of having children with disabilities. Then, with consent of the individual or their guardian, sterilization would take place. The 1930s, however, and the onset of the Great Depression, saw immense economic strain placed on the province of Alberta. And within this tense environment, greater efforts were made by pro-sterilization forces to prevent the reproduction of, and I quote, undesirable groups who were seen to be an unfair economic and social burden on the state. Robert Charles Wallace, none other than the president of the University of Alberta, stated that, and I quote, the fertility of the lower class was a burden on the government, end quote. And Wallace championed eugenics as a progressive solution to a dire economic and social problem. In 1935, William Aberhart, the preacher-turned-politician and a vocal supporter of eugenics, as well as leader of the Social Credit Party of Alberta, won a surprising victory in that year's provincial election. Two years later, in 1937, the legislation for the Sexual Sterilization Act was widened, increasing the power of the board by allowing now for involuntary sterilization of candidates. It would be further expanded once more under the Social Credit Party in 1942. The front line for identifying these individuals who were needed to be sent in front of the eugenics board fell on the shoulders of teachers, nurses, doctors, and by the 1950s, even social workers. The board itself was made up of a combination of medical professionals and faculty from the University of Alberta. There was no doubt that the board targeted specific groups within Alberta society. Far more women were presented to the board and sterilized than men. The act also heavily targeted Aboriginal communities. 74% of all Aboriginal persons who came in front of the board were sterilized. This is compared with only 60% of the non-Aboriginal persons that came in front of the board who were eventually sterilized. Just a reminder, before we continue with this dark story, you can find us on all your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. We survive heavily on your donations. And every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. 
Um, Patreon is really cool because you can go on to Patreon and just commit $1 for every episode we publish. So basically you donate a dollar for every episode. Or if you go to PayPal, you can just do a lump sum donation. Or you can even do monthly donations on PayPal. So it's really just up to you. As well, if you don't mind taking the time, please go to Facebook and or iTunes and leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you. We will respond. So please don't be shy. Okay, I want to give you a few examples of how patients were brought in front of the board and described and how their cases were decided upon. So let's introduce a young woman named Cecilia Champagne who was presented in front of the eugenics board in 1934. While she was in a hospital in Red Deer, she was described in her report as a thin yet muscular half-breed with large, ill-formed ears in which she was completely deaf in the left and partially deaf in the right, end quote. Cecilia's background was identified by the board as, and I quote, raised in a mixed settlement with an alcoholic father and an illiterate mother. In this case, mixed settlement means a settlement of white and indigenous. Cecilia was also described as a young, actively sexed imbecile and a persistent masturbator. Cecilia attempted to escape from the hospital on numerous occasions, but was continually caught and brought back. She was sterilized on July 4, 1934. Apparently, approval was given by either her or her guardian, though it is quite unclear who actually gave her mission, and her record of resistance speaks for itself. Karen Stote, in her book An Act of Genocide, Colonialism and the Sterilization of Aboriginal Women, published in 2015 by Fernwood Publishing, states that, and I quote, Aboriginal women were regarded with greater concern because they would not adopt to social norms of behaving as proper women. In addition, there was also concern over their supposed sexual immorality, which brought a social threat when they had relations with men from the settler, i.e. white population. It wasn't just Aboriginal women, however, who were targeted. The poor were also targeted. Ethel Busby was found by the same Red Deer Hospital to have an IQ of 66, attributed to her impoverished family history, and I quote, poor genetics. Her mother was considered to be feeble-minded, and her father was a deceased alcoholic. Ethel was committed to the hospital for review by the board on the grounds of her promiscuity having two illegitimate children. Despite the fact that Ethel had reached grade 11, could read and write well, and had a history of employment within domestic service, the board, with approval from Ethel's mother, had her sterilized in April of 1930. The mentally sick were also targeted. Catherine Rottensfusser was a 34-year-old housewife and mother of four who had emigrated from the U.S. in the early 1920s. In 1924, she was committed to the Alberta Mental Hospital in Pinoka. She was released a year later, but then re-admitted in 1929. Catherine stated she was having hallucinations and had seen God in visions while believing that the world was coming to an end. The board recommended sterilization. Catherine then consented though one would seriously question her mental health at the time of consent. Nonetheless, in February 1930, she was sterilized. A category known as undesirable immigrants were also heavily targeted. Rosalie Cote was a Polish immigrant who arrived in Alberta in June of 1930. Now, Poland was classified as part of Canada's non-preferred category of immigrant countries. 
Rosalie fell sick with rheumatic fever and then was diagnosed with a psychosis of somatic disease. Basically a term for we don't know what's wrong with her, but she's ill in some sort of way. Now, while she was a healthy woman uh, with no mental health issues before, her and her husband consented to her being sterilized in the spring of 1931. Several people looking into her case later on believed she was actually deported shortly after. One woman named Sybil Elliott was brought before the board with what was deemed an abnormally low IQ and deemed to be promiscuous. But in this case, promiscuity encompassed the fact that Sybil had been raped. Sybil was accused of having put herself into a situation that exposed her to attackers, and the board approved her sterilization. There is overwhelming evidence when looking at the over 2,000 cases of sterilization of a pattern of victims, women as opposed to men, young women as opposed to older women, women considered to have mental health issues or considered to not behave in a way that was conducive to social norms, women who were from racial or ethnic backgrounds that were deemed unassimilable into the dominant Anglo-Saxon society. One would think that the revelation of the Nazis' eugenics program during the Second World War would spell an end to the efforts of Albertan eugenicists. But incredibly, this was not the case. In fact, a whole new wave of sterilization erupted in the 1950s and 60s directed at patients committed to mental health institutions. These sterilizations were almost all completed without consent, And shockingly, the percentage of people under 19 years of age who were sterilized rose dramatically during this time to a peak of 61% by the 1960s. By the 1960s, however, more and more Albertans were speaking out against this sterilization program. From a scientific lens, by the 1960s, the eugenics program was increasingly rejected by the science community. Politically, It was becoming more and more unpopular as the press began publishing stories on the horrors of the sterilization program and the act that supported it. Finally, it had become evident for many that the Sexual Sterilization Act was simply inconsistent with a growing national focus and international focus on human rights. For those involuntarily sterilized, The act was disregarding a person's right to procreate, was disregarding the security of that person, as well as disregarding that person's equality before the law. When the Social Credit Party was finally defeated in 1971 by the progressive conservatives under Peter Lougheed, the act was abolished. By the mid-1990s, more and more victims were coming forward to demand compensation and an apology, and they were getting it. In 1999, the Albertan government publicly apologized for the program. Monetary compensation in the form of $325,000 per person was offered to a group of roughly 250 victims. Another 600 victims had won compensation already in private cases. Regardless, the money and the public apology did little to alleviate the trauma and psychological scarring that remained. The act was responsible for the sterilization of 2,832 individuals. 
A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And I want to thank you all for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Until next time, stay cool.